So I, I kind of look at the government as like some ADHD kid just waiting to the very last minute to do his assignments. And like, cause we feel like we work better under pressure, but then that's how we fuck shit up and create long-term problems that we're still paying for to this day. This happened years back then. You're listening to a podcast that encourages you to embrace your vulnerabilities and authentic self. This is your transformation station, and this is your host, Greg Favaza. Hi. Hey there, Matt. Uh, just one second, getting everything all situated. How, how's it going over there? I'm fine, thanks. How are yes, you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Now, do you guys have snow happening over there out in Sweden? <laughs> we had a little. Uh, we still have very little. Uh, it's, it's disappeared in the past few days. It's, um, I'm in the south of Sweden. They, they have a lot more in the north. Okay. And with the... Uh, with uh how do i say this understand um during like this time does the water freeze up to the point where it closes out the ports uh, not in the south normally uh it did when i was sometimes when i was a kid but um, uh, nowadays it's usually not not a problem in in the um in the north it does uh in the baltic sea uh, they have icebreakers and, uh, and well, icebreakers to uh, keep uh, shipping running. But um, here in the south, we usually don't have a problem. Usually down here, we have a couple of de- degrees plus mm-hmm. uh, Celsius, even uh, throughout the winter. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it gets down to maybe minus 10 or something like that, and we get some snow, but... When I was a kid, we used to have snow all the time from end of November until early oh. April. But uh, wow, uh, those those days are gone. <laughs> well, uh, I do appreciate you sharing that with me and for our audience. Could you uh, provide everybody with a snapshot of your specialty and what you're trying to achieve? Yes, I've. I'm a business consultant since uh, 33 years, and I'm um, I've for the past 18 years I've studied the amount of resources that will be needed to change tra- transport systems to um, electric vehicles, and I've mm-hmm. realized that a lot more um, resources in terms of electricity and investments will be needed to do this than uh, uh, decision makers have. Done. And as you probably know, um, air regulators in California have decided to ban the sales of new uh, gasoline cars from um, 2035. And the same decision has been made in uh, the, by the EU and the UK government. Mm-hmm. So, and in fact, that won't be possible because so large investments will be needed to achieve this so that they can't be um, managed uh, until 2035 or the, the years following 2035. Just as an example, um, to change the, um, all the, uh, the transportation systems, cars, buses, trucks mm-hmm. in the US to um, electric vehicles, you would have to uh, have, you would have to double uh, power generation. And currently in the U.S., you have power generation amounting to 4,000 terawatt hours, and that's the uh, uh, annual generation of 350 nuclear reactors or 1.2 million wind turbines. So, even to to change um, ele- car, the, your car fleet to electric cars would require really large amounts of electricity amounts that are not available in any country and there won't be enough time to build up those resources rapidly enough to be to um, change to electric vehicles by 2035 or, or 2040. 
Okay. That, that's really, I've, I've, it's yeah. really specific. Um, I want to just summarize this for our audience can understand. So we're looking at the transition of fossil fuels to green energy and now taking that into account from a climate change, from a geopolitical perspective. Now we're trying to essentially get a strategy involved on approaching this this issue that's about to that I mean there's there's a lot of issues within this issue one I mean the fact of trying to go down this rabbit hole to create uh, uh, these electric vehicles this transition to uh, green essentially that's going to emit a lot more burning of fossil fuels to actually create the batteries needed to create the infrastructure needed. And the the most important thing we got to understand is we all have to be on the same page. Is is that it so far that I, that I have a grasp on that? Yes, and definitely. So governments and sustainability experts have um, advocated a, a change to um, electric vehicles and so far, few people in the world have explored the amount of resources that would be needed to uh, to do this. And uh, I'm one of the few people who have, have done it. And I've recently published a book called How Building the Future Really Works uh, that's available on Amazon.com, for example, and uh, uh, where I go in, uh, look into this in some detail. Mm. Yes, you you published that back in September, and I would love to go deeper into that, but we'll save that uh, for later around the end of the show. So if we're trying to understand this from a micro level, we need to get everybody on, on all levels understanding the issue. What would we, how would we get that to happen? What would we tell people? For this to happen, uh, yes. in order, well, I I often take uh, the Apollo program as an example, and uh, to send a man to the moon and bring him safely back to Earth again, uh, as uh, John F. Kennedy uh, challenged the nation in 1961, and that it wasn't enough to just build a few rockets that could uh, uh, perform the missions. You had yes, to. He, uh, NASA also had to build a space center. They also had to build a launch ramp, a, a, a huge building for, for um, building the, the rockets. That you, you needed moon landers. You needed lots of new technology, miniaturization, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, and and computer, computing power to um, control this mission. So, and it's the same with electric the the change to electric vehicles. It's not only about getting people to buy more electric cars or getting companies, transport companies to buy more electric trucks. It's you also need the entire systems of for power production, for power uh, power grids, you need charging infrastructure, mm-hmm. and you need to build these things in uh, um well, in in unison, so that they, um, in, in an orchestrated manner, uh, like they did in in the Apollo program, to make sure that all the components of these systems will be ready when they will when they are needed. So, um, um, and wait, if so, if we're looking at this on a commercial level now, if we're building these batteries, are are we looking at the the ability to remake the batteries that's already built because when we're talking about disposal disposing of these batteries i know it's not good for the environment and that's where we have to look at going green but i mean mining for the 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 necessary the necessary uh things that we need to create lithium ion cells what exactly like let's just look at that part and keep climbing the ladder as we go Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, Lithium-ion is is a an essential uh, component of this, and at the moment there are not there is no system in place for the recycling of lithium-ion batteries, at least not 
for a large-scale recycling, but for the moment, there are not either too many lithium-ion car batteries available that needs to be recycled because um, most of the cars uh, that are in use today have not been used for more than 10, 12 years. Yes. So, uh, so they're not used up. But when a large, large number of cars get uh, to the end of their uh, lifetime, the um, lithium-ion batteries will need to be recycled. And there are technologies and there are companies that are prepared to build uh, recycling plants for um, uh, lithium-ion batteries. So I don't think that will be a big problem, the recycling of lithium-ion batteries. There, There is mechanical recycling, there is chemical recycling, and so on. Um, the prob- It may be a problem, actually, to... Um, get enough lithium to um, make batteries for all the cars that will be um, needed if everyone will need to buy an electric car from, say, 2035 or 2040 Mm. and something like that. Because current reserves of uh, lithium are, I I don't know exactly, but but they are estimated to be, not, not to be large enough uh, to um, to make this possible, so that there may be also a need for other battery technologies like uh, uh, sodium batteries or um, or other other technologies. But of course, also <clears throat> uh, the capacity of batteries, the amount of lithium needed to um, store a certain amount of electricity, uh, will go down as well as as the battery technology improves. That's that's really interesting. Now, I'm I'm looking at it from a change management perspective. I mean, right now, one will be we got to secure executive uh, sponsorship for this change efforts. Then we have to build critical competencies at all levels, and then a common la- language for the change. Now, how how would we relate that from a business perspective to a a global scale, essentially to get the whole world to realize, hey, this is what has to happen for our children's children. Yes, I'm really happy that you mention uh, the term uh, change management because that's what it is. It's about to a large extent, um, and we need we do need a shared language to talk yes. about this. And for the moment, there are ideas. Um, twirling around saying that we can do this transformation in a few years' time, mm-hmm. a little more than, than a decade, and that no problems will arise and so on. But we do need to develop a, a language that we can all relate to uh, that also involves the various components of this change. Um, like I, mean, I said before, uh, we need to be able to talk about the expansion of power production. We need to be, be able to to discuss the expansion of grids. And it's not only local grids. There are national grids, the high-voltage ones that, mm-hmm. that bring um, power from, from power plants to uh, um, users. So there are regional grids that mm-hmm. um, serve the region. And there are local low-voltage low grids that basically are the ones that uh, people plug into on a daily basis when they uh, use their facilities at home. Uh, And we need to be able to talk about that. We also need to be able to talk about the the charging infrastructure. And there are different ways we can solve the charging. At at present, we have have, um stationary charging we have fast chargers and we have normal speed chargers at home uh, but there is also an opportunity or perhaps a need to build uh, electric road systems uh, and people would need to become aware of that and and this decision makers need to become aware of those opportunities and we also need a lot of people with the right competencies to uh, build these systems and optimize these systems so that they become both uh, cost-effective 
and also user friendly because people yes. won't need won't want to stand for hours in line waiting for their cars to be charged and having five six seven cars ahead of them and when we need to charge we we want a charger to be ready for us and we we know, need to know that that we can go there charge and go back uh, and con- continue our journey so a lot of things need to to be in place and we need to be build a language by which we can can discuss this and um and come up with different uh, solutions and um projects basically that that we can start to to um develop these res- resources this is beautiful because there's a lot we can unpack here now we're we're covering electric mobility this represents the concept of using electric powertrain technology in vehicle information and communication technologies connected infrastructures to enable electric propulsion of vehicles and fleets now we used to work at a Myself, I used to work at Amazon. They were just transitioning uh, from uh, gasoline to an all-electric fleet. And now I'm seeing that happen in real time in the local uh, warehouse that's near me out in uh, in St. Peter's, Missouri. So that's we have companies that are starting to make the change. However, there's still uh, people that are lagging. I think they call them like laggards when you're trying to get the entire society to make this jump on a technological advancement. Now for this, there's so much more that we need to unpack. I mean, is is electricity cheaper than gas? I mean, is is the efficiency of the vehicle better than gasoline? And then to make like, then we got to look at the debt that's going to be caused from making this change. And then the type of leadership, like who's going to be able to handle this giant transformation in a new way of living. Absolutely. I agree. Um, well, there are differences between uh, countries and I'm not sure whether um, um, in the U S whether um, uh, Charging and going with electric vehicles uh, will be less expensive than going uh, using uh, gasoline because you have low uh, gasoline prices in um, in the U.S., uh, which we don't have here in Europe. So um, in in Europe, definitely, if you can charge at home, uh, it's cheaper um, to charge using uh, electricity compared to um, filling your car with. Uh, and gasoline or diesel but it's it's really uh, there will really be a big change because uh, electric cars and electric trucks and buses are much more expensive at present than um, uh, gasoline uh, or di- uh, cars or diesel trucks and buses mm-hmm. so uh, um it's not only about the cost of the fuel it's also a matter of uh, whether people will ha- be able to afford um, the higher cost of vehicles. And yes. we can't be certain that the price of vehicles will go down ra- uh, very rapidly so that everyone will be able to afford uh, an electric car um, in 10 years or 15 years. So I, I have an idea as far as looking at it from... Um a top-down approach, I think if we are able to elect the right government officials that are focused on this tr- this change, now they start applying this change to what's actually needs the biggest things first. I would say with, we have, uh, I'll say public transportation, we have airlines, uh, flights and airlines, we have uh, ships. If we we can address those first, and then as we start to delegate it down to uh, the, the micro level, I would suggest uh, stimulus checks be sent out to everybody that is, allowed, that is specifically for the purchase of an electric vehicle. And then also a bigger return when you trade in your vehicle for this. And I feel like that's a good way to get 
things moving. Yes, it would be uh, would be a way to get things moving. Absolutely, and here in in Europe, uh, many governments have um, offer subsidies for um, purchases of electric vehicles. M- most most governments actually in uh, well maybe not most but but um um the more uh, the wealthier countries i'd say mm-hmm. it's um uh offer uh, subsidies or have offered su- subsidies for um electric vehicle pur- purchases what i'd say is that we need to build competence about this yes. uh, in the way that um um nasa did in the apollo program um it's it's not enough for different experts or uh, or um political parties uh university professors and research teams to come up with ideas and and uh, launch them into the media and so on there needs to be a body of knowledge that's going to be built around this issue that covers the different aspects like um i mentioned nasa and they they built knowledge about the entire range of the technologies of mm-hmm. uh, needed in the um apollo, apollo program uh, so we need agencies government agencies that build competence in uh, the, the different areas and to understand charging power generation in relation to electric vehicles charging infrastructure and how these systems will have to be built in order to become effe- uh, cost effective so um um and and that's that's something that's uh, that's been done in the united states over and over again in technology de- development uh processes for mm-hmm. computers i mean the, the government uh, or various branches of the government um uh, developed computers for uh the military forces yes. uh, to calculate uh, um, artillery tra- tra- trajectories yes. uh, and other uh, other things that you the they used the early um generations of computers for um the ARPA, ARPA uh, developed the ARPANET and uh government agencies have also developed uh, aviation technologies and so mm. on and they've built competence in areas like what are the key development steps that need to be taken what are the key technologies we need and what are the are the bottlenecks currently that we need to remove in order to to facilitate taking another step um along this process so the same type of thinking needs to be applied in the um development here of uh, of electromobility uh, we, there needs to be a government agency or a couple of government agencies mm, perhaps yes. to take take responsibility for different or get responsibility from the president uh, or from the government for different areas of this development because changing in those examples there was Except for the Apollo program, there wasn't a time pressure. There wasn't a, a time pressure to to develop computers by a certain time or by a certain year or or the ARPANET by a certain time or a certain year or aviation technologies at a certain speed. Um, but in this case, there is a, an ambition to drive the development of electromobility forward so that large large systems can be implemented within the next couple of uh, next few dec- uh, to one or two dec- decades so we need to to build that competence and understand how can we do that and we couldn't do that without collecting uh, uh, competencies that are necessary in uh, the same room basically or or in the same building and and get them to to get together and solve these uh, critical issues so i i love that you utilize the the military and that that helped me a lot grasp this on a much deeper scale now we're looking at building these critical competencies at all levels now all levels are federal and state level governments now electing 
these officials in charge to be accountable to disseminate that information. That's that's going to be one challenge already. But then it comes to establishing another organization or, or government infrastructure that holds not only the elected officials, but the companies that are trying to pioneer this technological advancement in line as we continue to grow and make this change so we can meet at the finish line to have this beautiful transformation of what we're going after, which will be electric mobility. Yes, I agree. It's, um, and there is a need to, um, to build um, teams with competencies and, and build um, entire agencies, government agencies, um, consisting of people with, with comp- complementary competencies that make up the entire uh, body of, of knowledge that um, will be needed to, to um, achieve this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we try to under like to understand the common language for change, like if you ask some random person what is what's the difference between global warming and climate change, I mean, would they know the difference? Well, uh, I'm not sure. No, <laughs> global warming, I think, is an is an example of of climate change. It's it's uh, global uh, climate change is the broader concept. Uh, could it could in, involve and different types of of changes but global warming is the type of of um change that is going on right now when um, uh, we experience uh, a, a, an increasing um, temperature on the planet yes yeah like i i have the global warming's one aspect is the rise of temp due to increased concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere now climate change to the increased changes in moisture of climate over a long period of time, including participation, temperature, and wind patterns. Now, if we were to ask people like this, a random survey, would they know the difference? And that's the problem is that we don't have the common language understood. I agree. Yes. I find that um, very little of this has been discussed in the media. And uh, we're finding here in Sweden now, uh, in the past two, two, three weeks, that uh, it has sud- suddenly dawned on uh, business people in in various industries, mm-hmm. um, industry organizations, that we don't have enough power to um, uh, charge uh, our electric vehicles, and that we we don't have enough power to run the other um, other types of pro programs that are part of the green transition here. Uh, we have two projects in, in the north um, involving the um, uh, hydrogen-based production of steel uh, up, up there. And they say, uh, they estimate that 50 terawatt hours of, uh, of power will be needed to fuel those two steel plants uh, in, in the future when they're up and running. And that's the power generated by five uh, nuclear reactors. Uh, so it's it's a huge amount, and it's actually one third of Sweden's current uh, power generation. So, and uh, we had a an, an industry organization that went public um, last week saying that uh, the government needs to take responsibility for the expansion of power generation into the future because there is a risk that. 800,000 people will get unemployed uh, if we don't manage this uh, green transition. And 800,000 wouldn't be a lot in, in, it would be a lot actually in the Mm -hmm. US as well. But with a population of only 10 million in Sweden, 800,000 is mind-blowing. Yes. And that's 800,000 families that are going to be going hungry. And now what is the government going to do about that when they could have already have started to make the transition. I mean, if we're looking at this, it feels like it's almost impossible to incorporate this change from a already developed uh, country that has met his met their limits to have to make this drastic change. I'm, I can see it. It's a lot more easier and and simple to like 
to grasp if we were to look at developing countries and push this change onto them, which we can see in real time what the effects are and how it's going to impact us in the future and go from there. Yes. Um, it's it's difficult enough, I'd say, to um, for for developed countries to afford to uh, uh, do this change over a short period of time. But for developing countries, it will not be possible to uh, um, invest, make the necessary investment. We have here in Europe, um, we, we don't have developing countries in that in, in that sense, but we have countries that are not as um, uh, affluent as Germany mm -hmm. and Sweden and France. We have Poland, uh, Romania. Uh, Lithuania and and other other countries from the former Soviet bloc in in mm -hmm. our neighborhood, and these countries will find it very difficult to invest in the expansion of power production and so on to to afford to um, um, implement electromobility on a large scale. And even though they to a fair, relatively large extent import used cars from uh, um other countries in europe they they will still there is still a market for electric cars and poland for example uh, in poland um utilities um estimate that only 10% of all cars could be uh, charged with based on the um, existing power grid uh, capacity um, so, so huge investments will be needed in uh, in these countries as well that have even less developed infrastructure than the uh, the 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 countries of the western parts of Europe have. Yeah, that's very that's really interesting, and I ju it just came to me as far as with all the gasoline engine vehicles that we're trying to get rid of, essentially, like. That would create a lot of drop, uh, jobs as far as stripping them down and mining for the parts that's needed to create electric vehicles and the inputs inputs required to make this possible. And then, like, what do you do with the scrap? I mean, I mean, recycling would have to be key. Like, definitely, yes. Uh, I'd say uh, you have. There will be a lot of jobs created in mining and um, lithium-ion production and so on, but there will also be a huge number of jobs created in uh, um, infrastructure areas for to expand uh, power grids, charging infrastructure. I mean, uh, and and power generation basically. Because just think of it: uh, if everyone in in uh, uh, New York uh or chicago la or wherever um you can take your own uh town uh mm -hmm. where you live uh, if everyone is going to have a charger at home to where they can charge their electric car i mean you you'll need 285 million chargers in uh, the us to charge your 285 million uh, cars maybe some uh, ha households can do with one and they have two or three cars but but you'd need a huge amount of chargers maybe 150 million or something like that and um, and you would also need a large number of public chargers out in in uh, cities along motorways and so on you'd maybe need uh, a few you'd need a few mi million uh, public chargers uh, to to be able to charge when you're on on the go, um, mm -hmm. uh, or when you run out of of um, of electricity uh, mm -hmm. in unexpected places, so so there will be a huge need for installation uh, activities. But in order to get all the um, electricity that will be needed out to motorways or to to um, um, industrial uh, areas in cities or to uh, parking houses where not so much electricity is used at present, 
you would also need to expand uh, power, um, expand power grids uh, yes. in in many places. And in order to reduce the need to expand power grids, you'd also need to ex- install uh, much more solar power, power and, so, and so on. Uh, so Elon Musk actually, uh, he said in an interview at a conference called CodeCon 2021, uh, he said uh, that the United States will have to double power generation. And they also need, he also said that investments will be needed in all parts of power grids and especially also investments in uh, solar generation because to reduce the need to, um, uh, to, um, to expand uh, the capacity of grids. That, that's really fascinating. It, it's like a cascading effect to make this happen. Everything is going to have to change. And then we're going to have to hire additional people to incorporate this change. And like, what happens if we don't pursue this change? Well, uh, we've, we've been talking about climate change, and that's one of the reasons why we need to reduce our carbon emissions. But there is also the fact that uh, um, oil is not an it's not a uh, an infinite uh, resource. It's a finite resource, and and the sources of conventional oil are not growing. Oil mm. companies are not uh, doing huge new uh, fi- findings mm. of oil and uh, discoveries of oil. They are, uh, in fact, only five percent of the oil that's used every year. Uh, is uh, is discovered in 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 new uh, in new wells. So the the amount of new oil discoveries is has been declining over the past decades, and we're now now at a really low level, despite the fact that we have a much higher oil price now than we had in the 1960s when oil discoveries were at the top. <clears throat> so. Uh, we need to develop new uh, tra- transportation systems that can replace the ones we have. Um, we do have, we, we have seen the uh, an increase in the the production of uh, unconventional oil like shale oil and um, these types of of oil, but mm-hmm. we, I don't. It's un- unlikely that these volumes will increase so that they can take over the entire uh, oil production. We use 100 million barrels of oil per day in the world. And the United States produces more than 10% of that. Uh, so so you're, you, have a re, a huge re, you have a huge resources of oil, as we all know, but they won't last forever. And we won't... We don't know exactly when the when we'll reach the peak and when when the uh, the volumes will start to decline, but mm-hmm. they will, and it will, as we have discussed, it will take uh, decades to build new systems. So we need to start to build those systems now and to have them ready in uh, um, a decade or two decades when when um, oil production may start to decline. So I, I kind of look at the government as like some ADHD kid just waiting to the very last minute to do his assignments. And like, cause we feel like we work better under pressure, but then that's how we fuck shit up and create long-term problems that we're still paying for to this day. This happened years back then. Now you mentioned the 5% is that from a, a like globally uh, ingress in, no import and export. You refer to that? No, it's uh, the five percent is the the new discoveries. So if we we use one hundred million barrels a day, that's uh, that's thirty four billion barrels a year, and so we use thirty four billion barrels a year, and new discoveries amount to approximately five percent of that amount uh, every year. So um, so that's about 
7 million barrels, uh, 7 billion barrels a year. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, it's just um, 0.7 billion barrels a year in new discoveries. Mm-hmm. So if you were to walk up to the, the Exxon Mobil uh, CEO, I don't, I don't remember what his name is, and just say, hey, what you're doing right now is not going to help our company or help our our livelihood in the future if we're going towards green like like what would you what would you tell them to try to change his mind or to change his approach to help us get on the same page well i i think everyone uh, as we're all on this small planet and we're in it together um as we may may say it's we all need to uh, join forces to um, find out um, what the future will be like. And the oil companies have a huge and very important piece of this puzzle in that they they know more about uh, oil yes. uh, production than uh, anyone else. And they should, they, they, they know uh, how far they, or they, they have a, an idea at least about of how far we can drive the expansion of oil production and how, when, it's likely to that oil production will need reach its peaks peak and so on. So um, I'd say that that uh, oil companies need to uh, um, contribute to uh, our understanding of that. But also, uh, we find here that um, we don't have oil uh, production in Sweden. We have oil dis- distribution and oil refineries, mm-hmm. and uh, these companies are in- investing now heavily in uh, uh, electric vehicles electric vehicle charging systems uh, and other types of um, technologies to support the uh, transition to electric vehicles. And that's uh, also an indicator, I think, that um, um, they understand that this needs to be done and that uh, that they, they need to take a part. And if they don't uh, contribute, they will lose their market and they won't, they, they need to grow a new market. And compete in the um, um, electric vehicle charging environment. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, with investors, they have to have a diverse portfolio in case uh, Mobile One. Oh, it's Darren Woods, by the way, is the issue. I had to look that up there. It, oh. If uh, if that goes south, then they aren't completely out and they have uh, electric technologies to fall back on. But I'm trying to look at it as if are we trying to view oil as the the money because if you we're trying to follow the money that would lead us to the goal that we're trying to accomplish and not only this but we're also trying to switch over to a digital currency simultaneously like that mm. on top of going from everything will be digital i mean digital and then electric this that, that is going to set us apart i'm just curious how many generations is it going to take for this to occur and not experience any setbacks yeah that's that's a really interesting question um the um ambition to change very fast um is perhaps not really realistic uh we know that computers computer development took off or it started uh, after the Second World War in 1946. Um, but it also built on knowledge that had been developed previously with the punch card machines and so on, and resources, not to mention, uh, for the development and, and production of punch card machines at IBM and other, other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was already some type, uh, some type of basic knowledge about about this and it has had been um, incubating in various ways. Uh, but the development of computers started in, in 1946 or thereabouts, and then it uh, it continued. And it wasn't until um, the early 21st century that uh, computers started to contribute to economic growth. As the um, Nobel Prize winner, uh, Robert Solow said uh, in, 
the 1990s, I think, that computers can be seen everywhere in society except in the um, economic growth projections. Uh, so, Why is that? So we, we need to realize that these, in the past, these changes and these large-scale implementations of, of uh, new technologies have taken um, 50 years or more uh, to um, to go from the start to to the full fruition of uh, uh, technologies, and it would be um, naive, I think, to uh, to assume that we could implement electric vehicles and electric vehicle systems and and digitize uh, our uh, currencies and and everything uh, in only two two. A, Two decades or something like that, mm -hmm. we would need to have expectations that um, um, resonate with the experience that that we have made over the past fifty, one hundred, or one hundred and fifty years of technology development. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. Like, I want to play devil's advocate and look at why, like, we have already gone through technological change with the internet, massive information. Now we have already figured out ways to understand the big metadata, big data issues and how to handle that. Now I'm, I'm trying to look at the world as a large entity, as an organization. If what the organization needs is a transformation strategy. Now this strategy is looking at the new technological advances and that we need to adapt in order to keep up with our competitors. However, there's no competitors metaphorically unless unless we don't know about it, <laughs> but <laughs> alien population here. But that's essentially what we got to have the mindset in order to grasp all of these problems and put it simply like what what do you think about that? Yes, and we we do have, I mean, we don't have competitors in the sense uh, that we have another um, uh, another species that would invade our planet or something like that. But but we could see that within, of course, within the human species, we have different uh, fractions uh, factions of um, interest groups. Um, mm -hmm. and they are located in different places, mm -hmm. uh, as you have noticed uh, in the past as well. So, um, in the in some parts of the United States, you have uh, the incumbent uh, auto companies, like uh, in Michigan, uh, yes, for example, you have General Motors and and Ford, um, etc. And you have the the Invaders in uh, the form of uh, Tesla and others in uh, California, uh, Arizona. You have Nikola, the new um, uh, truck company, uh, etc. Mm. Yes, the and, global uh, leaders of our of the current industry trends. Yes, and we have a lot of um, um, we have a lot of um, electric vehicle companies in China as well, but the the incumbents. Uh, in this in, in this industry has have lagged behind in the early phases of this development, and we 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 must be aware that that these new companies may take over large shares of the um, uh, of the market for um, um, cars, trucks, buses, and that would not. It wouldn't mean that we get an invasion from from aliens, but it would mean that that the uh, um, that, that that the geography of these uh, th of these industries change from uh, Michigan to California and other places mm -hmm. where you have uh, the new electric electric uh, electric vehicle companies uh, mm -hmm. from uh, in in Europe from uh, Munich. Uh, Stuttgart, uh, etc., where you where we have the um, BMW uh, that BMWs and Mercedeses to um, 
to China and to to um, uh, California and to Arizona, where where we have the the um, invaders. So it's it, there is an element of this type of of invasion and invasiveness in this this development, and we need to be aware that that there will be big upheaval in places like Michigan and in in uh, Munich and Stuttgart and uh, other places if the these uh, if these new companies take over large shares of the mm-hmm. um, um of the auto markets yes no that's beautiful that you pointed that out uh, so with current industry leaders have to face the competition of new uh, industries pioneering today's technological advances and looking at it from an outside lens that current industry leaders haven't taken the the moment to see because what they know works is what they it was what got them there in the first place and the potential that I see is two things one new industry leaders can overtake these current uh, global leaders or they can fail and get bought out by current industry leaders. And that's kind of how everybody will be combined. And that's where we would come to uh, a common uh, theme of this, of the current industries, regar- regardless of who. Yes. Uh, and you have, we have the same in, in the fuels, uh, like uh, you mentioned Exxon, Mobile mm-hmm. Oil. Um, in in the future with um, electric vehicles you will see that uh, general electric will be more important than um, and exxon and mobile oil in uh, terms of of uh, generating the um, electricity that's needed to um, power the vehicles uh, vehicle fleets so you would, can you give us a little snapshot of how uh, your book it, uh, how building the future really works you give us a little snapshot of that. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, that's uh, I, I've I've tried to um, um, to um, uh, start with the um, development technology developments of the past, like the Apollo program and the experiences from computer development. Uh, many of these have been run in the United States, and you are the country with the most uh, impressive technology development programs of the past. Um, So we need to learn from those, and we need to take the experiences from them, saying that in these developments, uh, the government has played government investment for many decades, uh, has played an important role in the development. And it's not until... bit into, uh, well, a number of decades into these developments that these technologies have been able to stand on their own um, and become competitive and uh, um, been able to finance their own, uh, uh, pay their their way forward, so to speak. Uh, And I'm trying to learn, in the book, I've tried to learn from these experiences and apply these lessons on the the development of electric vehicles and the electric vehicle systems that we have been discussing, mm-hmm. uh, the, the development of autonomous vehicles and the systems to run those to see how do we need to approach these new technology developments and others. Uh, to um, succeed with the transformation to a sustainable society or uh, or just succeed with um, developing the transport systems uh, that we, we need for the future. That, that's beautiful. I, I, I like that. Now, if you could leave our audience with anything, what would you let them know before I let you go? I'd like to to say that we a lot of people need to learn about this, uh, and we need uh, not so many. There are not so many books 
uh, available uh, that that bring up this uh, change from a large scale perspective. Uh, in the um, Apollo program, 400,000 Americans were involved from the start in 1961 to the end in 1970 or uh, something like that after the um, um, moon landing and so on. Uh, so, so that's an indication of the uh, number of people that are in, have been involved in these types of projects in the past. And in order to build the systems for electromobility with the investments in uh, power grids, power generation, uh, charging infrastructure, and vehicles, etc., more than 400,000 Americans will be uh, will have to participate. So um, I believe it's time. It's about time for more people to to start to take in this information and start to uh, to discuss these different aspects and opportunities that we see and the different technologies. Will we need um, electric road systems charge on the go, or can we can we uh, rely on stationary charging uh, in fast chargers or normal speed chargers uh, entirely? Will we need um, technologies for what type of technologies will we need for um, reinforcing power grids? Uh, will we need to digitize power grids, or can we leave them analog uh, to a large extent as they are now? Uh, and so on. There are so many different um, alternatives, and these issues will not solve themselves. They people are needed that work with them and that that outline the different um, development paths and to help us select the most cost-effective, the most user-friendly systems that we can uh, develop into the future. No, you you said something that really stuck with me and took me on another realm. Like when we're trying to implement this large of a change, now I, I got a really deep understanding from being in the military at the very lowest of the low, at the bottom of the ranks as a, a rifleman, and then climbing up in the top next to the commander at a brigade level, assisting or delegating authority to 4,500 different troops. Now, having to illustrate the commander's intent towards the mission, and then if the mission changes within moments, you have to give everybody that information to reassess and go towards the new objective. I believe we have to really ask ourselves, who are we communicating to to get this change to happen effectively. I would say looking at military commanders at that high level, their job is to be able to orchestrate this change and under pressure and effectively, but then also to incorporate outside units from an even higher level within the echelons and attachments and get them to move in uniformity to accomplish this scheme maneuver, I believe that's a really important assessment. And to t- kind of take that mental model of what I explained, but it, and apply it towards electric electric mobility, uh, electromobility, and I think we could really get something going. Absolutely, I I totally agree. Um, we need to compare and and. Uh, approach this change based on references that we know already know about. Yes. And we can see uh, similarities between how we need to lead this change to how the military operates and how, how the military uh, re, uh, refocuses or realigns uh, forces in, in battle. Or um, we can see how, uh, similarities to how uh, companies organized and how how build strategies for the future we can learn from Clausewitz and uh, the uh, military strategist uh, from from Prussia in the 19th century uh, etc we need to learn 
get take all these different um, perspectives with us into this change to electromobility and help people with different backgrounds relate to this uh, and and use our references from the military, from the Apollo program, from the development of com- computers, from aviation development, from airlines, from from etc. Uh, uh, etc. Et uh, from different areas, and and apply this knowledge in the new um, in, in this uh, this new field. It's fascinating. We we could go all day, and I, I'm just I'm glad to have you on the show. So I really do appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciated uh, your invitation, uh, and I enjoyed very much the um, conversation we had. Thanks for joining us on this adventure of growth and discovery. If you're ready to achieve a sustainable transformation, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you've enjoyed the show and want to support it, take a moment to leave a podcast review on Apple or your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on social media for behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspiring quotes, and the latest updates. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search for YTS The Podcast. Until next time, remember, change is constant and transformation is inevitable. Embrace the journey and keep rocking your way towards a better you. Stay bold, stay curious, and stay true to yourself. See you next time on your Transformation Station.